Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, salatu wa salam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, we are now on session number 11. Session number 11, alhamdulillah, where we are in the middle portion of the surah, alhamdulillah, at verse number 41. So for those of you who are following along, who are new here, who would like to keep up, I encourage everyone to keep up, obviously, through, you know, an actual mushaf or, you know, through your phones or whatever it may be. We are on verse number 41 of surah Yusuf. Um, Surah Yusuf, this current chapter that we are in right now, we are in a position where we have passed through the challenges of the life of Prophet Yusuf from the beginning of time where he was challenged with his siblings, throwing him down a well, and then obviously bought by a passing by caravan and then sold to a couple in the land of Misr where this man was called the Aziz and the wife of the Aziz, they picked him up and they almost raised him as one of their own. And then came the following challenge in the life of Prophet Yusuf where he was uh, you know, tempted by the own person, the, his own, uh, almost like a guardian figure, this woman. And through the multiple tafasir that we read through, uh, the majority of scholars, they believe that her name was Zulaikha. She basically uh, offered herself to Yusuf and then he denied her advances. And then he was proven innocent. And then last few weeks, we went through the chapter of her inviting the multiple, uh, you know, it says in the Quran, Niswatul Medina, right? The woman of Medina, the woman of the city that they came. And then finally, you know, she saw, she, she, she made a, a situation so much so that they saw physically with their own eyes the reason why she fell into temptation. And because of that, Prophet Yusuf for a second time denied their advances. And it was at this point where ultimately they put him into prison because of how uh, embarrassing it was for them to admit their own reputation. That the reputation was at stake here, that now it was the word around town that Yusuf had denied them twice. And so now Yusuf would be in prison. And this is all under at the end of the day. We believe this is Qadr Allah because the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that, that, that Iman, a part of Iman is uh, believing in Qadr Khairihi wa Sharrihi. That you believe in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether you deem something as good or you deem something as bad, all of it falls under the qadr and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something that you fundamentally believe in as a Muslim. Okay? And so we are now at verse number 41. Last week we went through the ayat of these two prison inmates that came into the prison of Yusuf alayhi salam and they asked him to interpret a dream that they have had. Okay? And Yusuf alayhi salam, he hears their dream, but before he does anything in terms of ta'wil al-ahadith, what he does, he actually just kind of gives them da'wah. He says that this is only hadha min fadli rabbi. Right? This is, this, is, this, is, this is fadl from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who actually gave me this gift of interpreting dreams. And this is nothing besides the will of Allah that I can actually even tell you what this means. And so the first 
conversation that he has with these people, all he talks about is that this is Allah's will, this is the beauty of Allah, this is Allah's mercy upon us. Okay? So now we reach ayah number 41. So Yusuf alayhi salam, he says in ayah number 41, an explanation of the dreams that they had. After he gives them da'wah, after he tells them about Allah, he finally gives them the interpretation of these dreams. So the first thing he says to them, he says, Ya sahibay, he says, the, the, he says oh my, my, my companions, asijni, ya sahibay asijni, the companions of the prison. He says, amma ahadakuma, he says to the first man, and by the way, one of the beautiful wisdoms of this ayah is that Yusuf actually does not specify who which dream belongs to. And we'll talk about why. Okay? Because remember the two dreams of these men, one of them said that I have seen myself carrying a, uh, a, a piece of bread, khubs, upon my head. And these birds were eating from this khubz, from this bread. And the other man, he said that I saw myself pressing wine. Pressing wine, right, in my dream. So now he, they're trying to figure out what this dream means. So Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, As for one of you. He didn't say as for you. He says as for one of you. Keeping it generic. Okay, keeping it generic. He says, that you will be pouring or pressing wine for your master, Rabb. And this is, by the way, we go back to the initial conversation that we had months ago about how the word Rabb at this time and at this place was not used solely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even, by the way, the word Rabb, even in today's colloquial Arabic, is used for different uh, you know, means. For example, a person who's called a landlord is called Rabbud Dar. Okay? A person who's called landlord, literally Rabbud Dar, the lord of the land. And this is not a means of shirk. This is not a means of associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is just called, this is balagha. This is Arabic rhetoric. Okay? This is in no means that Yusuf alayhi salam in any way is saying that somebody is worthy of worship other than Allah. billah. This is not, a, that's not the meaning at all of this ayah. He's saying that one of you will be pressing wine for his master, okay? And another thing that we get from here is that at that moment, the, the, the scholars, they mention a couple of things. That at this moment, the abolishing of khamr was not legislated. We understand this, right? Anyone know when khamr was absolutely prohibited in the Islamic Sharia? In, in which, in which uh, time period was this? Anyone know? When was it, uh, when was it impermissible? It was actually in Medina. Yeah, exactly. Five Hijri in Medina. Right? So there were different stages of the impermissibility of Khamar. The first actual uh, ayah that came to discuss the idea of Khamar, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, do not come to the salah intoxicated. You understand? And so the actual full impermissibility of Khamar did not come until later on in Medina. So in this stage specifically, people read this ayah and they're saying, how can Yusuf interpret a dream and say that this is allowed? Well, this was not legislated in sharia at that time. Okay? So he says, for as for one of you, you will be pressing wine for your master. Now again, like I said, he did not direct this speech at the specific person. He kept it generic. Okay? 
And he says, for the next person, for the other one, he says, For the other, he says, He says that for the other, you will be crucified, meaning that you will actually be punished for what you had done. Because remember, what did we say that these two inmates were actually in prison for? Anyone? For attempting to poison the king. That was the allegation against these two men. So one of them was guilty. One of them was guilty. So Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, okay? That one of you will actually be punished for what you have done. And you will have And birds will be eating from your head. Meaning that, and this is a little bit of a more kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's more of a graphic kind of imagery here that a person who was crucified at that time would be left out in the sun and you know it would be up for the birds to actually peck away at them as you know they they, they were killed so yusuf alayhi salam told them that this is the meaning of your true your two dreams okay now Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says something very interesting here. This is the famous Sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ who actually specialized in the Quran. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the first Sahabi that actually read the Quran out loud in Mecca al Mukarramah. He was the first one that did it. Of all the other Sahabi, he was the first one who actually outwardly recited Quran in public. Now imagine how difficult this must have been. There's a beautiful riwayah that says that when Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, he began to recite the Qur'an publicly in, 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 the, in the streets of Mecca, there were people who came and began throwing stones at him. Throwing stones at Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. And after he was pelted with stones, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he went to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and he says, Ya Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, why would you, you know, put yourself in harm's way like this? And he says to the Prophet sallallahu he says, Ya Rasulullah, if I was given the opportunity to do it again, I would do it again. He said, this is like the, 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 the fortitude. This is, the, this, is the, this is what sabr actually is. You know, when people talk about the word sabr, people think the word sabr just means to kind of lay down and lay flat and let a storm kind of come and go. The word sabr is actually more along the lines of a person doing what they have to do and just understanding the, the, the qadr that comes along with it. That, that is actually what sabr means. Sabr is doing what you have to do and understanding that the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come along with that. Okay? And so, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he says that when Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam told these two men the interpretation of these dreams, they said to him that, in fact, we did not see any of this at all. <laughs> Remember, we had there, there's two opinions about these dreams. That one of the opinions is that these men actually had these dreams, and the other opinion is that they actually made up these dreams to do what? To check the the, the, the integrity of Yusuf alayhi salam. Good, 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 good guess though. It was good. That they were checking the integrity of Yusuf alayhi salam and seeing how, how wise and how, how, how knowledgeable he actually was. And so when they said this, he says, Allah Ta'ala, he says in the Quran, he says, He says that the case concerning this has already been determined. 
The case you know, about this has already been determined. He says, there's nothing you can do now to turn this around. And by the way, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that is very, very famous from Muawiyah that actually backs this statement up in the Quran. Where the Prophet ﷺ, he says, he says that a dream is tied to the leg of a bird, meaning that it's like it's up in the air. So anyone know what, the, what that means? Like it's up in the air, meaning that it's, it, it's possible, it's not possible. Allahu Adam. As long as it has not been interpreted yet. And as soon as it is interpreted, it becomes a reality. So this is a very interesting hadith here where we learn that the nature of dreams is that if you're going to ask someone about it, and by the way, we don't really, we're not in the practice of asking anyone about the interpretation of our dreams. And this is something that's culturally uh, a norm where people go up to people and say, hey, what do you think this means? What do you think this means? And unfortunately, wallahi, this is where we get the culture of, you know, uh, of, of, of sihr and all these different things that we find very prevalent in today's day and age of people going up to other people and saying, hey, what do you think my dream means? What do you think this means? This is a case of the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving the interpretation of a dream, not just an average person, right? And there are very few people, Allahu Alam, and I'm not, even, I'm not even going to share who I think is you know, worth asking about interpretation of dreams, but they're, they're reserved for very, very pious people, not just the average person you see around you, okay? Because once the Prophet once the dream has in fact been interpreted, then what happens is that there is a very, very strong inclination that that dream will in fact become a reality. So you don't just ask people what they think about dreams just haphazardly. This is a very serious thing. And if it is talked about, the Prophet says that it is, it's, it's now on you. It's now on you. This is part of religious ownership. That religion is not just a game that you play with. That Islam is not just a game that you play with. There are serious connotations behind the things that we do. Okay? So then ayah number 42. We reach ayah number 42. Yusuf alayhi salam, he says to these two young, these two men. And by the way, what was the, what was the wisdom behind Yusuf alayhi salam not actually specifying which dream belongs to who? Anyone? What's the, what's the wisdom behind that? What's the hikmah? Beautiful, very good. So the brother mentions here the perfect answer. He says that if he actually had told each one of them what your dream specifically means, the other one would become very, very afraid. The other one would become very afraid because one of them means that you're, you're going to serve your king. The other one is that you're going to be crucified and punished for your actions. So if he tells the one specifically that you're going to be punished for your actions, this man is going to live in anxiety for the rest of his time. And this is, by the way, some of the scholars that mention something very beautiful here is that even when you give someone news about something that is difficult, you tell them in a very, very wise way. You don't tell them in a way that's going to cause that person anxiety. There's a very famous hadith of the Prophet I'm actually forgetting the Arabic here, but the English is, you know, right? uh, that the Prophet he said that even when you go visit a person who is sick, a person who is ill, express to them that they inshallah will get better. This is an authentic hadith by the way. That when you go visit an ill person, it is actually of, of the characteristics of a Muslim that you actually tell them inshallah things will get better. 
you express to them that things will get better. Why? Because this is of the prophetic character. That being a Muslim is not being a pessimist. You know, we have like this, this genre of Muslims who go, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist. <laughs> I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realistic person. No, no, no. Brother, you're being pessimistic. <laughs> There's a way of being realistic, but also being hopeful. That yes, I understand the situation that's at hand, but at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help whoever He wills. And that's it. And this is why, by the way, in, 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 throughout this entire surah, a person who reads the surah from start to finish, they will say, wow, the surah, there is so much trouble, there's so much difficulty for Yusuf alayhi salam. But Allah reminds us over and over and over again in the surah, He says, وَلَا نَذِيرُ أَجْرَ muhsini." He says, we never will allow the reward of those who do good to be lost. So he reminds his own prophet over and over and over again that no matter how hard your life is becoming, no matter how difficult the circumstances that are befalling you, that Allah will never allow the reward for a person of goodness to ever be lost. This is very important for us to remember. Okay? So Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, and verse number 42, he says, وَقَالَ الَّذِي ظَنَّ أَنَّهُ نَاجِي مِنْهُمَّ he says, and to one of them, to the one he knew that would be saved, Annahu Najin, the one that who would be saved, meaning that he basically pulled the one that he knew that would survive to the side very quietly, and he says, Uh Rabbika. He says, Mention me to your master. What does that mean? Anyone? What does that mean? Mention me to your master. Why? Why would he mention him to his master? As a hopes to free him. As a hopes to free him. Because if his master, if the king of, of, of Egypt, hears about Yusuf alayhi salam being in prison wrongfully, hopefully the small little bit of news will actually influence the king to release Yusuf alayhi salam from his prison, from his imprisonment. And you know what this right here proves, by the way, guys? This proves here that in Islam... It is not pious just to sit and suffer. There is this very, very backwards idea that people have that, oh, as a religious person, I have to live a life of struggle. And although we agree that this ayah exists, we do not actually believe that it is of piety to choose a path that is difficult over a path that is actually easy. Obviously falling under the sharia. If something is legislated in sharia, we don't believe that taking the harder route is actually automatically better. And I'll give you a very easy dalil of this for everyone to understand. Pay attention. When a person travels, what are the two opinions of a person who is musafir? Of prayer. You either... Combine your salah or you shorten it. You combine your salah or you shorten it. There is no piety of a person who says that I understand this ruling, but I'll go out and pray all of my salawat the same exact way as I would if I was home. In fact, it is actually more pious of a person to go with the easier ruling. Why? Because this is actually what the Prophet ﷺ has ordained upon us. That if you're traveling, it is permissible for you to shorten your prayer or to combine it. It's not befitting of a Muslim to say, well, I understand this, but you know what? I'm going to be a better Muslim and pray all of it. 
This is not a part of our religion. And this, wallahi, this is what happens when people leave themselves to interpret this religion. When people say, oh yeah, I understand the Qur'an, I understand the hadith, but I'll just do whatever I feel is better. This is a very dangerous thing for us to do. Okay? So Yusuf alayhi salam, he tells one of them, he says, go udhkurni, you know, tell your king about me. Mention to, mention to your king, inda rabbika, mention me to your king. Okay? Because this is a hopes that Yusuf alayhi salam, he had. Alright? And at this point, Oh, actually, man, this is subhanAllah, a very beautiful story of Imam, I, I wrote down Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, he actually said to his students, he said, when you are going to teach the religion, he says, take your clothes and add a little bit of extra clothing to it. It's a very beautiful statement, by the way. When you go and you're, 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 you're learning the deen or you're teaching the deen, add a little bit of extra fabric to your clothing. What does that mean? Don't be looking like don't 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 look restricted. Don't look like you're 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 wearing you know less clothing because as an attempt to look more pious. Because when you go and learn the deen and you teach the deen, in fact, go put a little bit of extra clothing on to show people that learning the deen is actually something that has a lot of of of, of izzah to it. Look at Imam Malik rahimahullah. Imam Malik rahimahullah, he actually would make wudu and put on new garments every single time he would read a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Imam Malik did not show up to the masjid wearing tattered old clothes. Again, this is misinterpretation of this deen. That people think that, oh, you know, I'll just wear my old clothes to the masjid. I'll wear my old clothes as a means of, you know, being a zahid, right? Zahid, zuhud. Zuhud means like detached Right? Uh, I don't feel attached to this dunya, so I need to show everybody else that I'm a zahid. Right? I don't care about this. I don't care about this dunya. I don't care about it at all. But guys, there's a reason why there's a dua. Rabbana atina fi dunya wa fi akhirati hasana wa qina adhaban nar. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi akhirati hasana. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the khair in this dunya and for the khair in the afterlife as well. There's no piety in, Allah, in just asking Allah. You know, وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةِ That's it. There's hasana in this dunya that's also important. I tell people, people who just deny the dunya, deny the dunya, deny the dunya, how are you planning to get to the akhirah? Seriously. You're this zahid, you're this pious person. How do you plan on getting to the hereafter if you don't even have a dunya to begin with? Your dunya is necessary. Your dunya is necessary to get to the hereafter. You need this dunya to get to the hereafter. And these are the moments of dunya that will test you as a person to see which part of the akhirah that actually that awaits you. There's a famous statement. It's easy to be a pious person in the masjid. It's easy to be a pious person right here. Why? Because there's people around you all here for the same exact reason. You know where it's difficult to be a good person? It's out in the market. Out at work. Out in the street. Out when you're driving. Out when you're with friends and family. This is where it's actually hard to be a good Muslim. Being in the masjid, alhamdulillah, things are taken care of. You're praying in jama'ah, you're enjoying the, 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 you know, the, the, the qiraat of the, of the imam. You're in this state of, of, of iman. When you leave the masjid, that's actually when you ask yourself, what, how, what kind of a Muslim am I? That's when you're really made. So look at Yusuf alayhi salam in the prison. In the prison, he's exhibiting some of his best Islam within this prison. Subhanallah, it's a beautiful thing. 
And so he asked them to remember him in front of their king. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, he says, فَأَنْسَاهُ الشَّيْطَانُ ذِكْرَ رَبِّهِ فَلَبِثَ فِي السِّجْنِ بِضْعَ سِنِينَ He says that shaitan made him forget to mention it to his master. فَأَنْسَاهُ You know what's really interesting here? Can I bring up something that's really interesting in terms of Arabic? فَأَنْسَاهُ What's the word for, 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 for humanity in, in, in Arabic? Anas, right? Anas. Fa'ansah. The word ansah literally means to forget. Nas ansah. It's almost like you're hand in hand. You're a human being, you're forgetful. Subhanallah. It's an, it's, it's an incredible, incredible reminder in the Quran. That as a human being, you have this natural tendency to forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to catch yourself. You have to catch yourself. So it says, فَأَنْسَاهُ الشَّيْطَانُ ذِكْرَ رَبِّهِ That shaitan made him forget to mention it to his master. فَلَبِثَ فِي السِّجْنِ بِضْعَ سِنِينَ And Yusuf alayhi salam remained in prison بِضْعَ سِنِينَ That he remained in there for a period of time. Uh, something t- you know, I- I- important to remember here is that there is a part of you that will be forgetful, but there's also a part of you that is influenced by shaitan. This is the reason why Allah mentions that shaitan is the one ansahu. Okay, that he made this man forget about what Yusuf had asked of him. Now, there's, you know, I'm not going to go extensively into this, but, you know, the, 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 the forgetfulness that shaitan influences us with is something that we all are actually, we are susceptible to it. If anybody has missed Fajr Salah, just, you know, casually because of just some spur of the moment forgetfulness, we wake up and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for it and we pray qada. Right? But the moment that it becomes quite literally a part of us is when we, became, we make it a habit. We make it consistent. You can blame shaitan once. You can even blame shaitan twice. But a person who repeatedly commits offenses, they skip fajr one day, two days, three days, four days, and they say, Ya Allah, this is shaitan. This is shaitan. This is amal shaitan, the acts of shaitan. This is not, this is not something that, 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 that is sensible anymore. After two, after two times, you have to admit that this is something that is between me and Allah. And this is where, again, I mentioned before, we get the famous dua, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا Right? لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ Very good. So, this was the instant where literally a, a, a completely, you know, a, a, a spur of the moment forgetfulness of this man, he goes back to his community and he forgets to... Uh, mention Yusuf alayhi salam to uh, his his master, and then Allah Allah subhanahu wa taala he says فَلَبِثَ فِي سِجْنِ بِضَعَسِينِينَ. Now what's بِضَعَسِينِينَ? There's a few interpretations of this بِضَعَسِينِينَ. How much longer was Yusuf alayhi salam in the prison for? Because obviously it's very difficult to sign on to something when you don't know the end of it. So some of the scholars they say that Qatada rahimahullah he says that بِضَعَسِينِينَ means between three and nine. Between three and nine years. Uh, there's another uh, scholar, Wahab 
bin Munabbih rahmullah he says that Ayyub alayhi salam suffered from his illness for 7 years okay and Yusuf alayhi salam remained in the prison for the same amount of years so Yusuf alayhi salam was in the prison the same amount of years that Ayyub alayhi salam suffered from his 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 marid his his sickness his illness so 7 years Yusuf alayhi salam he remained in the prison okay So in verse number 43 Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and he switches the the actual scene. So Yusuf alayhi salam interpreted the dream, these two men left and shaitan caused one of them to forget to mention Yusuf alayhi salam in front of his master and Yusuf alayhi salam remained in the prison for several years. Some scholars say 3 to 9 and some scholars say 7. So then Allah says wa qala al-maliku and fa- and now he's talking about the king. Wa qala al-maliku The Malik is now speaking. The king is speaking. He says, "Inni ara sab'a baqaratin, simanin." He says that I have seen in a dream. So everyone's having dreams now. Speaking <laughs> so frequently, you know, this is one of the most beautiful things about this surah is that it just reveals the human being. What happens to a human being? So now the king is having a dream. So the king he says, "Inni ara sab'a baqaratin simanin." He says that I have seen in a dream seven big cows, baqaratin simanin, seven big and you can even say like fat, healthy, right? Sometimes you know, we you know in, in the subcontinent we say you know when you're when you're a little bit overweight you're healthy, right? Um, to the disgruntledness of a lot of young people in our lives, right? When we go overseas and you know, we always joke around there's no winning with with our, with our with our dadis and our dadas, right? If they see you and and you're slim and you're in shape, they say you're too skinny. You're not you're not eating enough. And then when you're too big, they say mashallah, you've become very healthy. Uh so <laughs> there's there, there's no in between subhanallah, right? It's always one or the other. Um so the king he says that I've seen seven very very healthy plump fat cows okay ya'kuluhunna sab'un ijafun okay and so he says i saw in this dream seven lean ones as well ya'kuluhunna sab'un ijafun okay and he says that these these seven larger cows were ya'kuluhunna they were eating these seven sab'un ijafun these seven skinnier cows So you're thinking about your you know think about the imagery here like what does this mean okay wa sab'a sunbalatin khudrin wa wa ukhara ya'bisatin he says that and after that i saw seven very green green uh pieces of vegetation and i've seen seven very dry pieces of vegetation and some scholars they say it means corn or husks of corn or any sort of vegetation that you know and so this dream is very interesting the first thing he sees is seven very big fat cows eating seven very skinny cows and the second is i've seen seven very beautiful pieces of vegetation and i've seen seven very dry pieces of vegetation now what does this mean so he says ya he says ya ayyuhal mala'u he says Oh my notable you know staff ya ayyuhal mala'u the people that i surround myself with he says aftuni fi ru'ya he says tell me the meaning of this dream 
He says, tell me the meaning of this dream. So he surrounds himself with his staff. I can imagine a king has people who are interpreters. A king has people who are scribes. A king has people who are his right-hand men. So he's asking all these people, tell me, explain to me about this dream. In kuntum He says, if you have the ability to interpret dreams. So he's asking them to interpret it in kuntum lirru'ya ta'burun. That if you have the ability, ta'bir, if you have the ability to do it, if you can do it. So they respond to him. They say, qalu adghathu ahlamin. So they say, say, they say, qalu adghathu. They say, qalu adghathu ahlamin. That this seems to be like a, a mixture of a lot of random things. By the way, anyone know what adghath means? Ghith, what, is it, what does that mean? Dhirth, what does that mean? Anyone? Adghath. It means, the, the Arabs, they use it to describe basically like, a, like, like something that's like chewed up. Something that is chewed up and mixed up. It has no really real value to it. It's just a bunch of mix. A bunch of mixture of things that are useless. Okay. It's nothing really substantial. Not real. real. Very good. Not real. It's made up. It's not real. It's not anything that you need to pay attention to. So the people around him, they say that, you know, know, oh king, this is something that is very mixed up. It's not real. There's nothing to really, this is false dreams. Okay. And he says to them, or they say to him, وَمَا نَحْنُ بِتَأْوِيلِ he says that they are, we are not people who are skilled. Okay, we're not skilled bi'alimin. That we're not skilled, of, we're not, of all the people, we're not, we're not skilled in interpreting dreams. There's a very beautiful point to be made here, by the way, in, in our religion. That when you don't know something, don't say that you know it. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلِ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ That if you don't know something, then fas'alu ahl dhikr Ask somebody who does know. How much damage comes from a religion of people who start saying things without having any knowledge about it? So damaging. Think about it. A person comes up to you and asks you, Hey, in Islam, is so-and-so uh, permissible or is so-and-so haram? And you say to yourself, Well, I've read a few articles in my life. Let me tell you exactly what I think this is. This is something in Islam that is very, very discouraged. That if you're not sure of something, if you're not sure of something without a hundred percent of yaqeen, of surety, of conviction, it is best for you to actually say, I don't know. La adri. La adri. La adri. I don't know. There, you know. There's a very famous story of Imam Malik rahimahullah. Imam Malik rahimahullah, there was a, there, there was a woman in his community in Medina, who wanted her son to learn from Imam Malik rahimahullah. And so this young kid, he went to Imam Malik rahimahullah, and he asked Imam Malik, he says, Ya Shaykh, I have a question about so and so. I have a question about this and this. And so Imam Malik, he says, he says, I don't, I don't know. He goes, but I will go home, and I will think about it, and I will come back to you tomorrow and let you know. So he goes home, and he thinks about it, comes back the next day, and he says, Ya Shaykh, have you come to a decision? Have you come to an answer? 
And you know what Imam Malik says? He says, I still don't know. <laughs> this is Imam Malik. One of the most profound scholars of our tradition. He says, I don't know, I don't know. Free yourself from the burden of saying something about this deen that is not a part of this deen. How many times do we do this, unfortunately? And there's different intentions, by the way, where people say, well, I think about this religion, this and this and this and this. I, this religion says so-and-so. This religion says so-and-so. Islam says so-and-so. The hadith says so-and-so. The Quran says so-and-so. When in reality, you don't know exactly what it means. You're just saying it. And a lot of people will say, well, my niyyah is good. Because there's a hadith that says, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ My niyyah is good. But you know what this is a proof of? That this is a proof of the fact that not everything is dependent upon your niyyah. Your niyyah can be good. But if the niyyah is not followed through within a good way, the actual amal can in fact be harmful. I'll give you a very easy example. My niyyah is to please Allah. So instead of praying five prayers a day, I'm going to pray six prayers a day. Halal or haram? Haram. Absolutely haram. What was my niyyah though? To make Allah happy. A person who wants to pray six prayers in a day surely is a good person. Right? I'm going to pray six prayers a day now. Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. Ba'd Isha. Right? <laughs> After Isha. But you can't do that. You can't make up things in the religion. You have to follow this regimen. So when we don't know something, we have to fas'alu ahli dhikr. Ask somebody who does know. In kuntum la ta'lamun. And, and you know what's beautiful about in kuntum la ta'lamun? The translation of in kuntum la ta'lamun is not necessarily if you do not know. The translation is when you do not know. What's the difference? If is implying that, yeah, you could know everything. When is implying that there's always going to be a time where you don't know. There's always going to be a time where you don't know. And some of the niyyah is because, you know, I want to protect my family. I want to protect my children. I want to protect my, I want to protect my spouse. I want to protect the people around me. No, 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 no. That, there, there are better ways of going about it. One time I had somebody come in and tell me, by the way, subhanAllah, this is real. This is real. I'm going to tell you real stories here. I'm not going to make up stories. I had somebody come and tell me and they said, you know, uh, you know Ustad, uh, t- I told my son TV is haram. TV, television is haram. So I sat here, I told them something. I said, TV is haram? I said, what about the people who like set their TVs to like the, 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 the channel of Mecca and watching people make tawaf around the Kaaba? This is haram? What about playing Qur'an on your TV? You have the words going around your TV. You're following with it. It's Friday. You're listening to Surah Al-Kahf on your TV. So this is haram? And they said, well, no, 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 that's not haram. But other things in TV are haram. But I said, what did you say? I said, TV is haram. Do you see, how, do you, do you see the problem here? One cannot make blanket statements about this religion. Are there components of television that are definitely impermissible? Absolutely. Fahsha, munkar, right? These things are absolutely impermissible. Vulgarity, obscenity, these are impermissible. But one cannot just say, oh, the entire television is now haram. You have people around here saying cell phones are haram now. (laughs) 
Cell phone is haram. Habibi, I read Quran off of it. I read hadith off of it. I watch Islamic you know, lectures and classes off of my phone. I use it to do work. How can you say the entire phone is haram? What kind of mas'ala is this? We have to be very careful about what we say. Very careful about what we say. And obviously the, 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 the flip opposite also is applicable. Where people generally just say everything is halal. No, there are components of things that are also impermissible. Right? And we have to make sure, again, the lesson of this is, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلِ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُ Ask the people of knowledge, ask the people of remembrance when you do not know. Okay? And we'll end with this inshaAllah. The last thing we'll end with is that this man, in verse number 45, he says, وَقَالَ الَّذِي نَجَا مِنْهُمَا the one who was released, Naja Minhuma. Remember? Najin, Naja Minhuma. The one who was saved. Because the other man was what? The other imprint. He was done. Khatam, khalas, bas. All the other languages. He was over. He was done. So the one who was saved, Naja Minhuma. The one who actually survived. The one who was pressing wine for his king. He speaks up. He says, وَذَكَّرَ بَعْدَ أَمَّةٍ أَنَا أَنَّبَّأَكُمْ بِتَأْوِيلِهِ فَأَرْسِلُونَ So send me to him. So he says, now a, a person, the person who was saved, نَجَأْ مِنْهُمَا The one who was saved, all of a sudden he remembered. He remembered. Oh, wait, wait, wait a second. I remember there was a man I met in prison, in the Sijin, that he was a pious man. He was a good man. And he, he had the ability to interpret dreams. So he says to his king, I will tell you the meaning of this dream. So send me to him. Send me to him. So again, this is another example. If you do not know, go to somebody who knows. There will be someone who knows. It just takes effort. We live in this age of people who are willing to watch live streams of Islamic content on their phones, but that shaykh will live 15 minutes away from them. Man, I swear to God, if Imam al-Ghazali was here right now, he would, he would tapar everybody across the face. Seriously? You're sitting 10 minutes away from your imam, and you're sitting in your bed like this? And I get it, work is tough, days are tough. But if you have the opportunity to go and be in person, go be in person. This idea of sitting back in our beds and like cheapening the, the, the religion to a point where we just scroll through our YouTube channels to go watch Islam. And you have Imam Omar Sulaiman who's 20 minutes away from here, Shaykh Yasser Bajas who's 20 minutes away from here, Mufti Hussein Kamani who's 25 minutes away from here. Do the drive. May Allah reward every turning of the wheel. May Allah reward it. But to say that I'm suffice just to sit in my bed and scroll through these YouTube channels is not good enough. You know, I've traveled to communities. Wallahi, I kid you not. I've traveled to communities around the country, remote areas of the country, Jackson, Mississippi, Little Rock, Arkansas. I was just in Columbus, Ohio last weekend. You know how far people came just to attend family night? And I was the speaker, a'udhu <laughs> billah. I'm one of the worst you can have. <laughs> this person came and said, I, I, I came from an hour and 25 minutes away. Hour and 25 minutes. 
Some brother came up to me that said, I'm here from Dayton, Ohio. I said, brother, where's Dayton? Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lamu. I don't even know where this place is. He says, yeah, it's an hour and 15 minutes away. I came here because I heard there's a person that's coming in to teach our community. Wallahi, I, I really, you know, it's, it, it's, you know this is one of the, the, the proofs that the more blessing you have around you, sometimes it's the hardest to actually acknowledge it. People ask me, oh, you live in Dallas, so you have all these mashayikh around you. What's it like? I said, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> the people who live in Dallas, we're just kind of like, you know, doing our thing. There's a very famous statement that one of our teachers, and we'll end with this inshallah. One of our teachers taught us, and this is profound. He said, sometimes the darkest place near a candle is right underneath it. The candle is lighting up the entire room. The darkest spot near a candle is the spot right under it. What does that teach you? That sometimes the people who are right underneath the nur of Allah, sometimes are the most lost. They're sometimes the most, they're under the most ghafla. Why? Because they're, they're so used to having things right, right near them. And the people who are far away, they can see the light from far. But because we're close, alhamdulillah, you know, it's okay. Next week, the week after, the week after becomes in a month, the month after becomes next year, the year after becomes five years, and the rest of it is all is history. You know? Now, I'm not saying that everyone's bad for watching live streams. Live streams are not haram. This is not where I want everyone to get out of here, okay? Because somebody's going to leave this masjid tonight and say, Oh, you know, our imam told us that live streams are haram. No, 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 I did not say that. I did not say that. Please do not twist my words. What I said is that we have to make the effort to do things the way that they're supposed to be done. That we cannot fall into the clutches of laziness and just say, because we have these eases in our lives, that we can just use these as a default. Wallahu wa rasuluhu a'lamu Allah and His Messenger know best. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us and guard us from any sort of, of, of difficulty. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of the people who are muhsineen, people who are mu'mineen, and people who do right by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. 